HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guests are Isabel Legeron from Raw Wine and Justin Cherno from The Four Horsemen in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We're going to discuss natural wines and the raw wine movement. We're also going to taste an organic wine a little later in the show for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. The natural wine movement is all about nurturing biodiversity while embracing and observing nature, rather than fighting control of it. Some of the most exciting wines today are naturally made by a group of committed artisan winemakers from all over the world. Our guests, Isabel Legeron and Justin Chernow, will explain how natural wines differ from, well, regular wines. Our first guest is Isabel Legeron. Isabel created Raw Wine. We recorded Isabel from London yesterday. Welcome to the show, Isabel. No, oh, thank you. Thank you for having me around. Great to have you. Um, I'm excited about this show because it's pretty much the Raw Wine Natural Show, and I don't think there's anyone better than you to help us sort of navigate through all this. Um, I want to talk to you about Raw Wine. I want to talk to you about the uh, fair coming to Brooklyn, and a bunch of other things. But before we get to that, I want you to tell our listeners a little about you and how you got to the point, you know, where you are now, which is raw wine. So, um, well, 
Well, I was I was I was brought up in in, in France on you know on a farm, so growing grapes. So my my background is is completely um, you know into the into the wine production. Um, and then fast forward a few years, you know, I, I I wanted to understand more about about wine. I went you know went to to, to do some uh, study with the WSCT, the Institute of, of of Masters of Wine, and and, and so on. Um, but quite quickly I realized that um, you know what I was looking for in the wine industry was um, you know there were farmers people connected to the land people making wines you know as naturally as possible and, and I realized actually the one of the wine industry is full of not that I, I, I realized that there was um, there was a, a world of wine that really resonated with 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 my values with you know the the sort of activities I love doing. I love foraging. I love farming. And I realized that you know there was a, a a small parallel universe full of people in a way just like me. You know, and 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 you know people who are farmers, but they also make the wine. Uh, they also have you know they also have animals. They also look at the you know very sort of holistic approach to to, to farming and 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 make wines naturally. Um, and then that's how I ended up. I guess drawn to this to this world, um, and they were also the wines that I loved. I love drinking. Um, and, so, so you know, the wine, the wine business has been around for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds. All this has been going on all along. True. I mean, you. Well, for sure. You grew that, up that, on that, a farm. That, I mean, were you yeah. involved in in you know the process of planting and picking and all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, my family were grape growers, and we were, uh, we've been grape growers for generations. I mean, everybody around me basically farms in the cognac region, so, so right. we farm grapes uh, that go into the pot still uh, that becomes cognac. And they did, they did follow sort of a natural, holistic approach then? And now, when I was growing up, when I was little, yes, they did. Um, my my parents didn't really have any, you know, harvesters. They did everything by hand. Um, they cultivated by hand. Uh, they didn't use any weed killers or pesticides or insecticides or fungicides and and, and so on. Um, but you know, as my I guess as my parents got into you know the the 1970s and the 1980s um they alongside most of our neighbors um you know started to to buy you know a, a machine to harvest right. they started to sort of spray and then they actually converted an organic farm into a conventional farm and it's still conventionally farmed today actually right. by my brother so it's a very sore point in my in my family we never right. ever talk about the the, the family farm why did why did they use natural um, approaches towards farming? Was that because that's all they knew? Was it because it was cheaper? Was it a sense then that you know that was the natural way? I mean, you know, they were as much part of any natural movement then. What inspired them to do that? It was. Um so, so when my when my parents took over from their respective families, um, my grandparents farmed completely organically. I mean, there was no other way, to be honest. Um, and 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 cost came into it. You know, you didn't really have any money to buy fertilizers or, or anything. Right. So it was just the, the normal way was to have animals and to, to to have biodiversity. So you had grapes, you had grains, you farmed everything. They had cows, they had pigs, um, and that's what my, my my parents did that initially. 
but um, you know, they, they, my parents are part of, of of a generation of farmers that really got led into what they called modernism. You know, they they wanted to have a bit more time off. They wanted to have a little bit of holiday, and they they thought that actually by spraying the vines, right. by using more machinery, they would get that. You know, they kind of got into and and. It's that generation that changed so much right. uh, the face of farming. It, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, because it's such a, a a labor of love, but there's a lot of labor to that love. And I guess at some point you really want to, you know, pull back a little. All right, so let's move forward. So yes. you did you say you got a degree in wine? I, uh, I studied at the Institutes of, of Masters of Wine, which is, um, you know, which is where I got my qualification of, of right. um, MW yeah, in London. Okay, so what did you do with that? Tell me. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, interesting. I'm not sure what I did with it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I worked really hard for it. Um, and then the minute I passed, I actually just, um, you know, focused on, 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 on developing raw wine, on, on, on actually putting all my time and energy into the wines that I loved, um, which is not, I would say, super commercial. So in, in a way, um, you know, I think I used my MW title to perhaps give more cred- credibility to an right. industry which is not very recognized, you know, the, the kind of that, that, which is not. I would say super commercial. So in in a way, um, you know, I think I used my MW title to perhaps give more cred- credibility to an right. industry which is not very recognized. You know, the, the kind of the, that natural wine niche right. or low intervention wines. So I think that kind of helped. And people maybe took me a little bit more seriously when I said, "Oh, this one is really good," even though some people might think it was there was something wrong with it because it was slightly cloudy, particularly at the beginning. Um, so I think. That that probably was the main, I, I, I guess, what, the, the, you know, the main advantage of, of, of right. being an MW uh, for, for what I'm doing. Credi- yeah, exactly, credibility. What was and the... it gave me a hell of a lot of theory and training and knowledge, right. you know, which I'm applying, obviously, right. every day. But what was, the, you know, you said you started working on the raw wine thing. What was that defining moment when you were really focused on the fact that, hey, there's raw wine, there's a movement here. Um, there are a lot of people committed to this. You know, I really want to move forward. What 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 defined you know you moving forward on all of this? It was um, about 2010, 2011, where I was, you know, I was attending the, all the fairs in France, you know, Lady Bouteille and all these really great events and, vin, you know, Vin Nature in, in, in Italy. And I realized, actually, we don't really have anything like this in the UK. Um, so, you know, I decided that we needed to have a similar event. And so I created this event, but I, I wasn't sure how to call it, you know, because it's not just about natural wine, you know, it's about a family of, of vignerons that make wines right. a, a certain way. Um, and so we came up with the term raw wine because no one really applied raw to wine before. So it was it was a, a bit of a just a unique creation and like almost it. like our way of, of calling it. You know, it's not a category. It's kind of becoming a bit of a category, but it's really not, you know, it's a trademark. Right. And it really, it really... For us, for me, it was just this is exactly what we're doing. We're, we, we're having these wines that are unchanged, they're, they're, they're pure, they haven't been tampered with, uh, so and they're in, so in the way raw. You're defining what would be a raw wine. So I, go back again. I mean, the, the people that are making raw wines, um, I guess now is a good time to ask the question, does 
um, organic, biodynamic, sustainable, natural? How do all those terms fit into the raw wine movement? So for us, right, and, and to be part of, 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 of the fair, because at the moment we are essentially, um, you know, um, an event basically happening around the world. Right. But in order to, to attend this event as, as a grower, you have to be organic. Okay. Um, you have to ferment your wine spontaneously. So there's no additions of, of, of anything. Um, you have to um, add, um, you know, small amounts of sulfites up to 70 ppm total for any types of wine. So but just give for, you an for, idea. For, right, for a reference yeah, to point. Give you a, <laughs> so 70 parts per million is, is the way that you would express total sulfites or 70 milligrams per liter. Um, and to give you an idea, when you make white wine in Europe, for example, you can have up to 200 parts per million. If you make sweet wine, you can have up to 400 parts so it's per a, million. So it's a, literally so, a fraction of it. So tiny amounts, um, and then no harsh manipulation like cell filtration, microoxygenation, um, and so on. But more importantly, you also have to be prepared to be transparent. So you have to submit analysis of all your wines. Uh, you have to mention on the website and on the catalog exactly what is done, how, how much sulfites, if any. I mean, many people don't add anything. Um, and so it's this commitment to transparency, this commitment to being, to farming, you know, organically, to fermenting your wines naturally, that actually, you know, unites all the growers that come to the fair. So the consumer, when they buy a bottle of wine, for someone that participates in raw wine, there's a total transparent path of growth to the winemaking, to everything, because that's Absolutely. all documented. Don't you have a charter of quality? Yes, we you, do. You we were do. referring so, so to that. On, that... On, on the website or, or on the catalog, uh, we mentioned the charter of quality, and that is that um, the entirety of the vineyards where the grapes come from have to be farmed organically, biodynamically. Um, everything has to be manually harvested, spontaneous fermentation, no blocked malolactic fermentation, no sterile filtration, um, and levels of sulfites that are, um, you know, under the 70 ppm total um, added. So for the raw wine fair, you have how many wineries participating? So at any given time, it really depends on, on where we, 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 we're going. But well, for talk, example, in, in talk about in New where York. you've done, but we're, we're coming to New York. The Raw Wine Fair is going to be taking place in Brooklyn um, on November 5th and 6th, correct, Isabel? Uh, yes. On November 6th and 7th. 6th and 7th. I'm sorry. Yes, the just raw... the day before the election. Right. 6th <laughs> and 7th. Make a note, November 6th and 7th. I'm pretty sure the hours are 10A to 6P. That's right, yes. And it's being staged at 99 Scott Avenue, which is in Brooklyn. So that's the fair. So you've staged these in Berlin, London. Um, you're coming to New York. Did I miss any place? No, that's it. We did one edition in, in Vienna, but now, now we're, we're focusing on London, Berlin, and hopefully New York. Okay, so somebody is thinking about attending the Royal Wine Fair in Brooklyn. They're coming into this knowing that they're going to be exposed to some of the best natural winemakers from all over the world, right? Yes, the people come from all over the world. Um, and we have, so we have natural wine producers, i.e. people who do not add anything 
during the winemaking process at all, including any sulfides. And we also have people that I call the more low-intervention organic and biodynamic, which means that they add very low levels of sulfides. Right. I think it's important to make the distinction because at the moment everybody bandies around the, the, the term natural. Even even vineyards that are not growing grapes organically call some of their wines natural. It's a um, that term is a sore spot important. with a lot of things with the food movement. You know, mm. people slap on natural pretty easily to a lot of things, and it's just not what it appears to be. Um, so there'll be how many people? How many uh, different wine people at the fair? So there'll be about 130 different uh, vignerons, you know, wine producers. There'll be over 500 wines to, to taste from uh, under one single roof. Um, we also have um, vermouth producer, you know, and Cus Vermouth, in fact, which is uh, also local to, 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 to you. Um, we have some cider producers, so a mead producer, which who is also from, from Brooklyn. So, you know, the idea for, for, for the fair is for it to be a community-led event. Um, you know, this is very much, for me, is very much a, a U.S led event. You know, we have a very large proportion of growers coming from, from, from the states, from, from California, Oregon, from New York State. Um, and, and for me, that is really important. It's not just like some, there are some people from London coming in and, and putting on this right. event. It's really about involving everybody. And, and Roberta's is actually firing up some ovens and cooking some pizzas in the, in the courtyard. Yes, a nice compliment to any delicious natural wine, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. The the a lot of the natural winemakers initially were in France and Italy. I mean, the movement really, or, or the majority of winemakers that were following a, a natural path, were from France and Italy. Is that fair to say? Because you you alluded earlier that you had gone to fairs in in France and you wanted to bring them to London. So I guess that means that they were doing it all along and the rest of the world wasn't really exposed to all these wines. Is that fair to say? Yes. I mean, you know, if you, um, you know, like, like you mentioned at the beginning of this program, natural wine or making wines naturally, you know, has been around for, forever. You know, we've been making wine for 8,000 years or thereabouts. Right. And when people made wine 8,000 years ago, they didn't have um, aromatic yeast and mega purple to, to, to add to the mix. Um, so, so people have been making wines naturally f forever um it's it's i guess what we're seeing now is is a bit of a backlash against the the, the high man manipulation and the high in high intervention that, that people are doing in, in their wineries and we are we are rediscovering these wines we're we're in a way we're calling them something um we're labeling them natural wine or, or low intervention um and the hotbeds in a way have always been sort of you know, France and, and Italy and parts of the old world because these are very long-standing traditions, right. you know, like, like Georgia is, is, is another example, um, where people have been farming for hundreds of years and, and making wines for a very long time. So it makes sense that, to be honest, that the, the larger proportion of, of natural wine producers are coming from, from this region. Right. But it, it is catch Like you said, it's a lot of people are following the practices in California and Washington. It's nice that you're here in the U.S. and that there are a lot of participants, you know, following the, the, the uh, you know, natural way of wa making wine and all of that. I know. And that's really excited, uh, exciting. And, you know, I'm, I'm so... 
I'm so proud of, of the event coming, coming, coming to the States and so happy that so many American producers have followed us and are so excited uh, that we can all be part of this, um, you know, this event together. Well, because I, I think it is, it is a really strong community um, that we are building, I think you know, with the restaurants, the, the bars, the, the shops. I was just going to say know. that. I think the community is incredibly committed, and I think it's the community – that is educating and enlighten, enlightening the consumer. I think some of the best bars, you know, in New York and even outside of New York and some of the best wine stores have made such a commitment to natural wines and they're such evangelists for them. You know, they're, they're, the, the lists are heavily stocked. They're pouring them. They're featuring them. Um, they're talking about them. They're using social media uh, very heavily to show bottles and the winemakers and the type of wines. I, I, I think the movement right now is as hot now as ever. Do you feel that? Yes, for sure. I mean, there's such energy. Um, you know, when I was, um, I mean, I visited, I came, I came a couple of weeks ago um, to, to New York and, you know, saw a lot of friends and visited a lot of places and, and the energy, the, the, the passion, the love people are showing and, and to see those wines being poured more and more is, is tremendous. Right. You know, there is room for more. Yeah. You know, don't get complacent. No, no, um, I'm not implying Manhattan that. And, and because I mean, there's, later, you know, there's room for more. <laughs> later, in the sh- uh, later in the show, but, we're having Justin <laughs> Cherno on from the Four Horsemen in uh, Brooklyn. Wonderful. And, you know, he's one of the big evangelists and proponents. You know, he had worked in retail and that. And then when they opened the Four Horsemen, you know, they made a commitment to a, a lot of natural wines. And, you know, he's not an, in the minority and all of that. All right. So, mm. so and there's you, a lot of really exciting places, I have to say, with, you know, with very strong, um, you know, natural wine lists. And Four Horsemen is one of them. Ten Bells, Rouge I mean, the list goes on. And, it, June, it, you know, it's really exciting. Brooklyn, yeah, it's great. Um, you wrote a book about all of this. You wrote a book, Natural Wine. I think you wrote it... Fairly recently, you know, in the last year or so. Tell us a little about the book. Yeah, so the book was, um, I wanted to sort of put everything down that I, you know, that I was thinking about natural wine. What is natural wine? I also wanted to to really, um, I guess, showcase all, 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 all the men and women who make, who make natural wine. You know, who are they? Talk a little bit about the history, about the movement, uh, where it's coming from, um, and so, you know, we, we published this book that is actually quite heavy on, on photography, um, but also full of stories from growers who maybe use, like, wild plants uh, to farm their vines, people who, you know, somebody makes, makes, makes bread and, and shares with us their, their sourdough recipe. So, you know, it was all about sort of, um, it's more than just it's natural about the, wine, the I guess. It's more about the, the lifestyle of these right. people. Right, right. Mm. I know you're biased, but, you know, it probably is one of the better books about the subject. You know, it's, it's, it's fairly comprehensive. I'm not sure that there's a lot of books, you know, out there about natural wine. And it also sounds like the type of book that every few years, you know, you could do another updated edition and, you know, update any information and growers and all of that. Mm, well, thank you. I mean, thank you so much for saying this. Um, you the know, book's and, and called Natural actually, Wine, right? Uh, 
Sorry? The book is called Natural Wine. Yeah, it's called Natural yeah. Wine. And actually, uh, my publisher wants to do uh, um, sort of an updated version, which will come out at the end of next year. Perfect. So we're out of, you know, we, we reprinted a, a couple of times, which is amazing, you know, when you when you write something about such a niche, <laughs> niche topic. Right. Um, and we, we're going into um, an updated version, which is, which is nice. Well, it's funny. You say niche. It is niche because... I think wine is a very big, passionate topic. People are passionate about it. You know, it's global. People really, you know, get into it. But I think the natural wine movement, like we said earlier, is really, you know, on the up and up. I think more people that don't know about it when they find out about it are very interested and feel good about it. You know, let's try that. Where can I get it? Um, and I think it's becoming a little more readily available. I mean, I think you have to warn people that when they go into their typical large wine store, the selection is limited. But then there are stores like Chamber Street Wines and, you know, other places that are very committed to natural wines. And you can find all of that. All right. So let's talk about the fair again. Let's promote that. So it's the Raw Wine Fair. It is a fair with over 100 producers that Isabel and I talked about that are committed to making uh, wines with the least amount of intervention in the most natural way. Um, the fair is going to be in Brooklyn this coming November 6th and 7th. That's a Sunday and a Monday, right, Isabel? That's it, yes. Yes, and you can come between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., and it is at 99 Scott Avenue in Brooklyn. What What is the space, Isabel? What is at 99 Scott Avenue? Well, it's a brand new space, actually. We're the first ones uh, using it. So, oh. uh, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's an old warehouse that's been, uh, that is, you know, it's almost finalized. We're sort of, you know, <laughs> keeping right. our fingers crossed. It's going to be finished. You'll be fine. Um, and it's, it's beautiful light, huge windows, a, a great courtyard. Um, and, yeah, it was, a, it was an old warehouse that is being turned into a beautiful event space. And it'll be a walk-around format, right? Different producers exactly. at different tables? Exactly. So the producers will be, you know, um, at their tables. They'll be everybody's going to be there to, to show their wines. We also have a small collection of other drinks, you know, right. like I mentioned, like the you know, meat and, and, and cider and vermouth and, and so on. There'll be some food on site. Mm -hmm. um, we've got the great guys from Insa at Brooklyn are going to be doing some Korean food. Great. Uh, Roberta's is going to be doing pizzas. Parlor Coffee is going to be doing some some coffee. So you know, the, the aim is for people to come and spend the entire day and and hang around. You know, there's also a talk program. We have four talks a day that are free to attend. Just uh, so they're they're like all. seminars or talks, talks. I guess. Yeah, they're seminars right. and they're, they're talks. So yeah, I guess we've it's... got some really great lineup of talks, and everything can be found on um, on the website, which is newyork.rawwine.com. Newyork.rawwine.com. Yes, that's where you can get all the information. So yes. people that intend to come should intend to spend a day. Go into a few talks. There's going to be a lot of wine to taste, so that's going to take some time. Um, if you feel you need to clean your palate, there'll be some food there and some other things. So it's really going to be a, uh, a day of incredible exposure to some very passionate um, wine people. Now, also, there are wine people there that are looking for distribution too, right? 
Yes, that's right. The, the growers is a mix of people who are already distributed and represented, um, you know, in, in, in New, York, New York City, but in New York State, but also actually in, in, in other places. And there is uh, probably about, I don't know, a quarter of growers who are coming to meet e- importers and traders and, and hopefully uh, find representation. Right. So anyone who is listening, um, if you have a distribution business, you're starting one, there are going to be people and wineries that are looking for some kind of representation so it could be well worth your while to take a stroll around and meet some people and taste some wine all right did we miss anything on the fair no that's amazing thank you all right did we did we listen we could talk all day about this (laughs) i mean it's a very exciting um the fair is very exciting the natural wine movement and how raw wine has approached it's very exciting i think this is just the tip of the iceberg I think I'm going to probably have to have you back on for progress and updates and, you know, telling us about what has been going on. And you are welcome anytime. Um, did we miss anything? We got the website. We got the date. Yeah, the only thing that's missing is, are you coming to the fair? Am I coming? Yes. I'm coming at, I'll be there at 9.58 and I'm leaving at <laughs> 6.04, Okay. Yes, okay, I'm very I'll, much coming. I'll be looking out for you. I'll tell you why I'm coming, and I think <laughs> it reflects a lot of the way um, our listeners think. You know, our show is geared towards the consumer. It's geared towards people that are just starting to get into wine and, you know, don't want to be overwhelmed by it. We take an unpretentious approach toward it. You know, we don't want to get too nerdy or too snobby. And what interested me about, you know, you coming on the show is... I think, like I said earlier, the natural wine movement is so hot and so important. And when you get to know the people and the product, the commitment is amazing. The opportunity to go to a fair and literally rub shoulders, you know, with the winemakers and taste the wines with a presentation, you know, unlike anywhere else, is just a very exciting thing. And for me, separate of the radio show, as a consumer, There are just so many wines that I want to taste. There are so many people I want to talk to, and it it may be a little overwhelming. I'm probably going to have to do something I don't like to do, which is spit, (laughs) you know? So whatever. So I'm looking very much forward to that. And, Isabel, I want to thank you very much um, for coming on and talking to us about raw wine, talking to us about the fair. We will see you there. And like I said before, I would love to have you back. And I thank you for coming on, The Grape Nation. Um, Of course, my my, my pleasure. And thank you for being such a good host. All right. Thank you, Isabel. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Music for this commercial break is brought to you by Rectech, and this track is called Fat Tony. New York State cares about New York's farmers. That's why we've developed the New York State Grown and Certified Program. It's a seal New Yorkers can look for when they're shopping for food that comes from local farms. Customers are more likely to buy food that has the New York State Grown and Certified Seal because it tells them that it comes from a farm that follows environmentally responsible, farm-safe protocols. In other words, the New York State Grown and Certified Seal tells them their food is grown right, right here in New York State. 
You're a farmer with a lot to do, but the time it takes to sign up for the program is a great investment for your business because it lets shoppers know that your food meets higher standards, has passed assessments, and is produced by environmentally friendly farming practices. To learn about participating in the program, go to certified.ny.gov. Welcome back. Our in-studio guest is Justin Cherno, wine director and partner of the Four Horsemen in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Welcome, Justin. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Thanks Great. for coming in. No problem. Justin, I want to talk to you about natural wines. I want to talk to you about small artists and producers. And, of course, I want to talk to you about the Four Horsemen. But before we get into that, I know you have a very colorful background, or at least I think so. Okay. And I want you to share it with my listeners because it's, it's got a lot of wine and music um, to sure. it. So tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, ended up living in Washington, D.C. in the, um, I guess, late 80s, early 90s. Played music with friends there. And sort of was in a couple of bands and, you know, of no renown. But, you know, it sort of was, became this thing that I was focused on. Were you a musician as a kid? Like your parents uh, like gave around, you? I started playing music maybe when I was like four, 13, 14. Okay. But I was really, really, really obsessively interested in music. Um, and then, um, and I was like a real record collector and, and things like that. And then I moved to DC and I worked in like, uh, an interesting record store that also was a bookstore. And so I had access to all these things and I worked with people who were much more cosmopolitan than me, like that hooked me up and taught me about things and, you know, and, uh, mo you know, about music mostly and literature and I didn't go to college. So I had access to all these books and a bunch of guys I worked with like in grad school for philosophy and you had to. You know, I had to learn, like, these little things just so you can just keep up at lunch, you know. And I was 19, and I felt like a, a hick that just came in from the sticks, you so know. So you were absorbing everything. Yeah, I was absorbing anything you could because also, you know, move there, you have no friends. You you connect with, you know, who you can. And then um, then I started traveling for music, and I fell in love with New York and decided to move Wait, here. you started traveling with music. Yeah, so touring with, the country. With bands. Touring the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. With bands. All right, so. It's like part of what you had to do. You formed... Yeah, I, pl I played in band bands. Band yeah, band. I played in bands, a few bands, and like, and the, one of the main ones that I was in uh, traveled around the U.S. a bunch of times, and we were lucky enough to go to New York a lot. That and was. I was just a band called Pitch Blend. It was like a noisy punk band, and then, um, and then we, you know, my my Art girlfriend punk. and I. Talked, yeah, I guess sure. Let's call it that. That's, <laughs> that's that's being generous, but I think that that's that makes it sound much more sophisticated than it was, and I'll take it. Uh, and then, uh, so we moved up here. And needed a job, you know, didn't know what to do. But these are the days. What oh, year are we talking 94. about? 94. Okay. And these are the days when you could just call a temp agency and they would give you a job. And so I ended up working at a health insurance company for five years, but also really, really actively playing music here. And like that was, you know, you, it was the time where you had a day job and you pursued your art on the side. And uh, but so you, for five years, you worked at a health yeah, company? Yeah. Were you playing at night? Were you yeah, play, rehearse all the time, use your vacation days to go on tours, put out records, do all that kind of stuff. You know, like did, act, did that drive musician. you crazy? I mean, were you bored or you didn't mind? No, I mean, job? I think that that was. I mean, that's a legitimate thing to do. I didn't have family money or anything right. like that. All my friends, you know, we moved here and we worked. It was every musician I knew had a job, 
and then played on the weekends or played at night or figured out a way. Also, you know, you had, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but you had health insurance. You had, you know, a weekly paycheck. You can buy cool guitars. You can buy all the records you wanted. You can learn all that. You're, and you're a very logical young man. At the time, yeah. The time. It, it seemed like that all went out the window later in life. But, um, and so I did that for a while. Then it did start to drive me a little crazy. And then I ended up, the dot-com thing happened. Ended up working at a dot-com, doing writing, things like that. And uh, market research kind this of thing. This is New York? Yes, yeah, so in New York's okay. probably like 98. Right, which is when and, things were ramping yeah, up. Yeah, when everything was, everybody like... Everybody under 30 worked at a dot-com, essentially. Right. And, um, and then after 9-11, of course, everybody got fired from their dot-com jobs and everyone closed. And so I kind of floated around. I traveled in some bands, playing music, put out some records, and then uh, bar-backed, uh, freelance doing windows at Barney's. Um, worked at a company called CD Now, which was an early online place, writing that. record descriptions on for them. Like, you know, just whatever temp job came up, whatever. I had worked at the did Rogers and Hammerstein make, Library. Did you ever make money with any of the bands? I mean, was it I mean, more you know, of money, what is money? pay as you I go mean, and if labor you mean, of if love? You mean, if you mean, like, did I come back from tour and could somehow pay my rent once in a great while? Yeah. Okay. But no, it was never like, you know, no. It was just, it was, it was a self Fulfilling thing. Right. It was like working as a musical not for profit kind of thing, not on purpose, but that's just the way it worked out. And then by traveling and living in New York and getting into food and growing up, I grew up in a big Italian family and being at the table was a huge part of what I did with my friends, you know, cooking Thanksgiving together, things like that was really important. I started to realize that, you know, my like interest, I knew a little bit about beer, but I didn't know that much about wine. You'd go to a restaurant, you wouldn't know how to order wine, you wouldn't know how to complete. The whole experience. Right. You know what I mean? Go back for a second. Mm-hmm. When you had family meals, mm-hmm. Italian, was sure. there always wine on the table? On Sundays and things like that, there were wine. And my, my family that I grew up with, I grew up with my mom, my brother, and my grandparents, they weren't real drinkers. They weren't real the drinkers. Hardcore. But on Sunday, every Sunday, it was like the fro- almost frozen bottle of Gallo right. or, wine, you know, or wine with peaches in it and like kind of chinar at the end of the meal, that kind of stuff. That was pretty normal behavior. But... Um, but uh, anyway, anyway, so I started to travel then overseas on vacation, things like that, and went to France a couple times. And that's when I really got interested in wine because I was there and I realized, like, I didn't know anything about this at all. And it was such a part of, of life, you know, and I came back and started reading a little bit and I got Was books. there a person, mm-hmm. a place, or a wine or any combination came, of those. That came later. That was a defining moment. It came later. That first trip yeah. to, to France. That, it no. came later. It was just more like a vague, like kind of blurry thing. Like some people are a 61 Latour. You know, that yeah. changed my life. Yeah. Kind of, like that, that kind of stuff happened to me a little later yeah. in wine. But but then, um, you know, down the road, still trying to find a job. My, I had a really good friend I used to live with in D.C. Uh, that, that worked in this new wine stop, shop that opened called Uva in Williamsburg. And he's like, well, you know, you know what Syrah is, you know, you know what Cabernet is, you know Chardonnay is. Like, it's Williamsburg. Nobody's going to know more than you. Like, nobody's going to know more than that because it's a new wine store opening. It was the first wine store to not be bulletproof glassed in Williamsburg. What year was this? It was 01. 01. maybe 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Williamsburg was a much different place. Yeah, yeah. um, No bulletproof glass. Trojanowski was the other. Now it's like a really expensive hat store on North 7th in Bedford. But... They were bulletproof, and this place was the first one open without glass. And um, 
Was that ever an issue? No, no, it wasn't. Thought. It wasn't an issue. But I think the glass is pretty hard to take out right. once it's in. So, uh, so anyway, um, so this friend of mine, Jay, gets me a job there, and I start, you know, just start working a couple nights a week, and then I get one at a discount. I start bringing things home. Uh, the old buyer there was this guy Shane Smith. And he was really obsessed and passionate, and it was a thing that I realized, and he was a musician as well, and immediately understood that, like, that worked for me. Like, you know, you're talking about the winemaker, and you're talking about the the vintage, you're talking about the wine, and that all clicked in my brain as a very similar thing. And so... So we started, you know, drinking together, tasting together. You'd come in at night. You'd buy a bottle during your shift. You'd listen to a record that you love. You'd drink a new wine you never had. You'd get all these young people coming in that were like, is this a wine store? But you guys look like me. I don't understand. Like, I thought wine stores weren't for, you know, you know, artists and, and things like that. And it was, you know, again, so it was 15 you, you years ago in Williamsburg. The community. It felt like a re- it felt like just like working in a record store. It really felt like that. And and so this guy, Shane, that I worked with got really into the sort of probably or very, very early wave of natural wines. And they didn't really necessarily click for me. I didn't really, I didn't really necessarily care about what was organic or how things were made. I was still learning like right. my geography and, you my, had and things like that. Yeah. I was just, he had already done the work. I hadn't had a background right. yet, you know? And, uh, so he ended up leaving, uh, to leave New York and the owner asked me to take over and I first thing I did was I immediately got rid of every natural wine. Wow. Like I was I was like, these all oh, well, these wines taste the same. I don't get this, they're all gone. And it was, you know, it was just a, such a nascent thing that nobody even noticed really that they were gone. Except for the the wine reps noticed pretty quickly that they were gone. because uh, I wasn't ordering from them anymore. And little by little, the people bringing in wines, I started to find, well, that's the one I like. That one is exciting to me. That wine is great. Okay, I really love this wine. And one by one, they all just turned out to be like low, you know, low additive, like small production wines with like little no sulfur or, you know, um, not not yeasted, like grown organically, you know, grown biodynamically. No pun intended, but you organically got back (laughs) into natural wines. But it was a very natural thing. It wasn't because. You threw them out and then. It wasn't because, yeah, it wasn't because I met somebody I thought was cool that was into them or I read an article somewhere. It tasted good. And it tasted good. And then little by little, like I started to get into it. And then I started to develop a, a peer group here of people that were some of the first wave natural wine people. And, they all told me the same thing. They said, Justin, get on the plane. Go to France. Get on the plane. Go to these restaurants. Ask for these people and drink these wines. And I was like, I don't speak French. I can't do that. And they're like, dude, get on the plane. Say that you know me, whatever. And I, I, I got on the plane with a friend of mine once. And we went over. And a everywhere total, I went, an they exploratory knew trip. They were excited. They were like, oh, wow, you're an American. And you came here. That's crazy. Drink these wines. And, you know, wines were really cheap. And. One thing led to another, like, it all clicked, and it all made sense, and that was when I came back to the wine shop, when I came back to Uva, I was like, we are changing, you know, we're changing this, and this is, these are the wines I want, and, you know, these are the wines we want to buy, and this is what I want to drink, and this is what I want to tell people about, and it was like an evangelical level thing, where you, you, you know, I don't want to stop anybody from drinking what they wanted to right. drink, ever. But you could introduce but if them, people, or... if I could slowly talk to people about why I love something, and they wanted to hear it. Because that's the kind of shop it was. Was was there distribution? Were there 
Was it hard to find wines? Or no, the, the thing that was nice about it then is that there was, I mean, this is a simpler thing, but like I liked the fact that there were only a couple people to call, and they had the stuff, and they were excited to sell it, and it was all available. So you can get whatever that you wanted. That was then. Yeah, that was then. Now there's a no, whole so it's a whole different thing. Yeah, but it was it was great. So, and you know, you had to fight. I didn't own the store, so I've definitely I made a lot of mistakes. I bought a lot of wine that I was thought tasted great in France, and then ordered ten cases of it, and it came in. It was like totally disgusting, and we didn't know what to do with it. But you know, you let it. You learn also learn that like over time, some things settle down and they start to taste better, or they change. And you learn about things like bottle variation, and you learn about. Things like wine oxidizing and like that stuff that you don't that you didn't pick up when you're on vacation and you're like out of your head excited. So you were at Uva, is mm-hmm. it Uva? Yeah, or I was Uva for eight years, I think. And the epiphany of the natural wine was what about a year or two into it? Something like that. It was a bottle of Marcel Lapierre and uh, and a bottle of Domaine Leon Barral, which is a you know, Lapierre and both those wines are Kermit Lynch wines. Yeah. Like I didn't have my I didn't have my natural wine epiphany with like some like one hectare producer like right. plows with a goat, like, you know, like it makes wine in a bucket. Like uh, those are like at this at this point in time, people some people barely consider those naturally made wines, right. you know. So eight years there. Mm-hmm. So eight years brings us to when? What year are we uh twenty thirteen. Okay, so what happens then? 2013, I started. Um, a friend of mine was an importer, and I did some, you know, helped him like consulted, and we did some a bunch of traveling together. Were and we you together. ready? It was like huh? I've done this for eight years. Let me try this. Or I was just, you know, you just you do things in between. And but in the meantime, like I still traveled, 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 and uh, and that's I had been friends with James Murphy for a long time because he made he produced a record for a band of mine in '99, and so he was in Paris a lot for work. And so tickets at the time were really cheap, and he would get a really good DJ gig, like at some bar, and he'd be like, "Why don't you open for me?" And then I'll, you'll pay you money, and then you'll we'll have money to eat and drink together, and you make all the dinner reservations or lunch reservations. And I want to drink wine with you. I want to learn about these Was wines. Was he as far along? No, as far as knowledge and interest. No, as but, you but were but, at that point, he felt he, was he felt up. my enthusiasm, right? And he he was never a wine guy. You order it, I'll drink it. Well, he never was a wine guy, and then we started to drink these wines. And he tells the story better than me, but it was a thing where he was like, "Wait a minute, oh my god, this is awful." I think I'm a wine guy, <laughs> you know. Like this Don't is the, the opposite of what we were supposed to to yeah. be. You know, we're supposed to be makers, mark drinkers, and right. you know, beer drinkers, and like right. you know that kind of thing, and like. So we were rock and roll guys, you know, at the time. Like, this is before dance punk or any of this stuff. So that's that's when you befriended James Murphy. In the 90s, yeah. Right. And so we were very close before that, but then we started to travel together, and then we started to try and find ourselves in Paris at the same time to drink wines, and then you started to come to Uva a lot. And then we realized that, like, there weren't many restaurants that had these wines, and we didn't necessarily have the money to go out to eat all the time, so we started cooking and eating at each other's houses or things like that. Don't jump ahead for me because I want to talk about uh, the Four Horsemen. Mm -hmm. But before that, you know, I want to talk to you because I think, you know, after what you've been talking about, you're certainly qualified to help me talk about what natural wine is. Sure. So let's take a few minutes and talk about that. I mean, I guess the obvious question is, what is natural wine? I, I mean, mean, it really it's depends. Fair for it you depends to define it, and it depends. Well, who I'm asking you, and I'd be happy, you know, with your uh, answer. It's it's still to me. I, I this is something I do every day. Something I think about every day. I'm still completely not 
100% sure because I know so many people that actually make wine. I'm just a consumer. I know people that actually make wine, and they all have different descriptions, or they have different subgroups. You know, Are there, there are any commonalities? Like- I mean, to me, the commonality is like minimum organic in the vineyard. Minimum, at minimum, organic in the vineyard. Absolutely, under no circumstances can the wine be inoculated with yeast. It has to be naturally inoculated and fermented on its own. For me, there can be no additives outside of sulfur and maybe a little copper sulfate sprayed in the vineyard. Isabel had mentioned earlier yeah. that the amount of sulfur is sulfites is so much less than regular. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like I said, just I know, at bottling. But you know, I know people that make wine that lots of people consider natural that I that I like that I love to drink that I will definitely in conversation say is natural wine. That see sulfur a couple times within the process, right. and you know. I know I know a lot of people that are cynical about natural wine that that have spent a lot more time in the wine world than me that say things like, "Well, everybody lies." Once they shut the door to the cellar, you don't know what happens there. Once you know things happen, you don't you don't know. There are wines that I love that I consider natural wines that see some temperature control in the cellar to help boost fermentation. You know, to help things. So I was going to say one of the things that comes up is very little intervention. Yeah. But then you talk about a guy making wine and he raises or lowers the temperature to, right. you know, it's it's not unnatural, but, then but I know it's people, not yeah, natural. But I also know people that just take the wine outside and get it in the sun and trying to get that to kick it up, you know. Right. It depends. Or they make, they have wine that's fermenting really well and they dump some of that, like a Pied de Coupe, they get that into there right. to kickstart the other wine. It just depends. For me, that's my base level for, for natural wine. Right. And I think that that's, that's what I consider it. Is there a reason for confusion for defining natural wine, organic wine, biodynamic mm-hmm. wine, sustainable? Are they all in the same basket? I or? think sustainable is a complete, complete bullshit, bullshit term. Okay. Sustainable is just somebody that wants to do whatever they want, but also wants to sell you their wine and make you feel good about yourself and about what they do. And that's sustainable is just... It's like buying some crappy candy yeah. bar that says natural. Yeah, exactly. It's a candy bar. It doesn't bar. matter. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like all the when I'm trying to buy fruit juice for my son and I realize right. like it says natural and you flip it over and there's 30 things written on the back. So sustainable, forget that. Yeah. What about biodynamic, organic? But biodynamic and organic, again, are separate things. Biodynamics are um, a philosophy written by Rudolf Steiner. Right. It's its whole thing. You know, there's a bunch of... He literally defines yeah, what a biodynamic wine should and, be, the way to do it. But I, you know, and that's how you work. But, you know, can you be Is biodynamic it, in the vineyard and not biodynamic in the cellar? Like, you can be organic in the vineyard and then add a million non-organic things in the cellar. And you could be organic and make your wine and try to ferment your wine on its own, but share a winery in California with other people and they yeast their wine. So their yeast ends up in your wine. Like this is a really, I'm not a winemaker. I'm just a consumer and a buyer. And this is where I think we need to have the winemakers have a Congress of some sort and figure out what all these things mean and really bring this information. Does organic is organic. What am I trying to say? The best, Interpretation of uh, natural wine or uh, organics have not nothing, even... not, organics have nothing to do with natural wine either. Okay, because they're in organic additives. You can buy organic. You can buy organic additives for your wine too that change the texture and change the color and all these. This like it really comes down to no non-intervention, like staying out of the way of the wine. To me, all right. So now I'm really confused. I want to go. It's home confusing, and I want to take a nap because yeah. I'm dizzy. So. How do you know 
what a good natural wine is or if it's really natural. You have to go to it's the about, producer. It's about, you know, it's again, it's like as close as you can get to the producer, trusting your, trusting your purveyor, trusting your store, trusting your distributor. And like that's the great thing about these wines is that as far as the supply chain goes, it's about as close as you can get to the to the winemaker, which is one of the things that really attracted me to it from being from a like a DIY music background. I was used to like going to see a band and then buying a t-shirt from them at the end of the show. And when you when you learn about these wines and you go to a wine show and they're pouring the wine for you, you know, and they're they're the person who worked the vineyards and, and guided the wine through every every part of the process. You hope for as much. It's about as transparent as you can really get, right? I think transparency is a big thing in the yeah. natural yeah, wine. Movement. I think so. people want to know. Yeah, it's the only way they understand um, how that's going on. Um, so, natural wines are generally made by smaller scale, for the time being, right? Yeah. Can larger wineries scale to that, or that's not going to happen? I mean, you know, it just it. It, it depends, you know, how, again, I'm not a farmer, so it would be nice to see people be able to work this way in the vineyards and make, but you know, wines. But there's definitely, there are definitely people who have 50, 100 hectares that are. Which is on 50, the larger end. 50 sure. hectares is a large winery right. in, in the natural world, and there are people that do it. And, and I think that, that we'll see, because there's no definition, I mean, I'm sure there are wineries in California that, with, that are massive that say that they make natural wines. Kotori, there's a few. Kotori's not ma- massive. They say they are. They're going to be at the raw wine. Yeah. How, I know, what, how many, well, I mean, no, how many, how many hectares do they have? That's what, by massive, I mean scale of farm, farmland. Huge, I would think. I don't think so. Couture, no, no. I don't oh, smaller. Couture's small. I mean, oh, he's, okay. he's just thirty-six vintages in, okay. or something like that. He's a legend. So he's legit. He's totally legit. Cool. I don't think you'll find. I don't know if you'll find anybody in California more legit than Tony Couture. Okay. To be honest, I'm glad but, you um, cleared that up. I think he is. He is about as real as it gets. And he was doing this when people were essentially thinking. You know, his family's been doing this much longer than anybody could even understand right. what it was in America. So the commitment goes yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. Regardless how you feel about the wines, he's the real thing. Yeah, and I mean, um, that's always a, yeah. a personal thing. But uh, yeah, but anyway, cool. um, but yeah, I think that you know what's going to happen because there's no definition is that like, you know, we're 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 at this there's this point now where every magazine you pick up is Vogue or if or if it's uh, food and wine or if it's you know some like fashion magazine like from that's like a coffee table book or whatever has an article on natural wine. So this is how it starts, and then right. before you know it, because we have no definition, the grocery store is going to be full of health-conscious wines. Are there any bodies or organizations at any level that well, are trying to you know? There's do there's a organizations for or biodynamics or and things like that, and there are groups, there are trade groups, but no, but there's no like, there's nothing. No, but anyone has to sign outside of these groups. I don't think you know. So somebody who's been doing it as long as you, because you know you. You have a good history. Does it drive you crazy, or it is what it is? It is what it is. It you is sort what of it have is. to accept. You just, it uh, my you job know is to, to sift through. My it. job is to try to be a gatekeeper and make sure that like what we have, I consider right. legit. You know, but definitely like I can totally understand. Like the older you get, like the more tired of it <laughs> you get. Right. Too. I think that happens with everything. Yeah, yeah, anyway, exactly. you know. Um, so natural wines were popular in France and Italy predominantly. Mm-hmm. Um, France and Japan, I think. Japan too. France and Japan before Italy. Italy's catching up. I think okay. Italy and there Italy, are a lot Italy's of producers catching in, up. Yeah, yeah. in France, yeah. Loire Valley, yeah. and in Italy. No, Fra- and France is definitely that. the epicenter. Um, but as far as like as far as like people drinking it, it was France and Japan. When did uh, when would you say the natural movement planted its flag in the U.S.? Was 
I mean, you. Were I mean, there. I want to say, I want to say, like, Planet is fine to start before I was like working we're, in a we're wine got shop. Got some recognition and notice, you know, had I mean, a little traction. I think early two thousands. Okay, was probably right about time. I mean, there were definitely people running really cool lists, but as far as like. Maybe somebody getting an article in Times or something like that. That's when you know, you got to go back to that right. probably early 2000s. When Eric Asimov yeah, or somebody exactly. writes about yeah. John Bond. Um, are natural wines readily available, or do you really have to find... I mean, if you have a good wine shop, yeah, but then I know people in St. Louis that are just like, my God, I wish, you know, I wish we could get right. any of this so stuff here. So if we've here. tantalized people and piqued their interest about natural wines, it's not going to be easy to There are a lot of mail-order companies some, now. Right, online. You can order it online for sure. So online. And if you have a good if you have a good wine shop and you talk to them about what you want to do, they start a conversation with their local distributors, maybe things change right. in their in their area. Right. All right, let's talk about the four horsemen. Okay. Currently you are a partner. Mm-hmm. You run the wine program. Yeah. Um, tell us about the Four Horsemen, when it opened, how it came about. Sure. You alluded to it a little. Yeah, well, I mean it came about as a conversation between a group of friends. That thought there wasn't the place that we loved. Like if you took all these places we loved around the world, these little small places that had the things we liked to eat, the way we liked to eat, the way we liked to drink, and the way we felt in the place didn't necessarily exist here. We thought there was room for it, even though none of us had ever had a restaurant before. And so, you know, we sat around a table and drank a lot of wine and talked a lot about what we loved and traveled a little bit and things like that. And, you know, little by little tried to make the place that we wanted to make. And, How uh, long did it take? I don't know. You know, from... it's a good question. At least, at least a year and a half, okay. maybe maybe two years of you know from from first conversations, and um, and what Four Horsemen is to me is first of all we we really like to think of us as a neighborhood restaurant. We can be a regular, but it's a restaurant with like a really strong wine program. We have, I think now we because we've reached we changed the dining room just a little bit. We probably about forty seats, but we have four hundred references on the wine list. Wow. Which is, you know, pretty. Is we're trying really hard to have have things that we think are are important to us, and uh, talk, and talk and, about the wine list a little. It's sure. predominantly predominantly French, French. Um, but we also have like you know a lot of Loire Valley, a lot, a lot of Loire of Valley, Burgundy, a lot of Burgundy, um, a lot of a lot of Champagne because we really like Champagne, right. which in the natural wine world is, you know, lots of people think that does not count because it's refermented. You know, it's fermented with. Extra yeast, and sugar, and blah blah blah. So that's Dosage. a whole other conversation. Yeah, uh, but we love champagne, so we sell it. But we have wines that we, like we sell the wine that we love. Well, the grower champagne movement's bigger now than ever, for sure. For Those sure. guys probably meddle a little less, or not yeah, necessarily. I don't know. It's, it's hard yeah. to say. Again, you know, I think you know champagne in itself is something that is meddled with, and uh, but it's delicious, so we sell it. Um, and you know, we have we have wine from Italy, we have wine from the U.S., we have wine from Eastern Europe, we have. The things that we love, and we like to represent growers that we think are important. And it's really important to us not to have be everything to everyone, but it's important for us to have every customer that comes in have a great experience, and not be not get in a fight with us. We don't want to have a philosophical blowout. So they'll rely on you for recommendations. They'll rely on it. We have a staff. I consider our restaurant a no psalm zone. We have great. We have, we we don't have a sommelier. We're too small, and I want people, everyone that comes in to have a solid experience. It sucks when you go to a restaurant and the sommelier is not there. So we have a really solid staff that we think can really get everybody through their night. And you can find people that you love that work there and come in when they work. So tell me about the wine list. It's fairly extensive. Yeah. Um, we try to represent. I mean, we like really try to represent pages. Burgundy and things like that. Right. That like I think a lot of natural wine lists don't represent. 
uh, particularly well. And, uh, and you know, also have some oddball stuff in there, too. People really like orange wine. And so we have a lot Explain of... Explain what orange wine is. Skin macerated uh, white wines. If you leave white wine on the skins for a period of time like you would a red, it develops like a texture and a color that's... That's not like that Sutter's Infidel. No, no. White's Infidel. That's a little different. <laughs> Probably similar process. Process. But... but uh, not, not end product. No, yeah. So, but, you know, people love that. So we represent a lot of that kind of stuff. We try to represent just as much delicious stuff as we can. That's with the kitchen as well. You know, we right. like everything to be... Like Delicious is a good uh, yeah. adjective for what you want to do. I think so. What um, you keep the food in consideration for the type of wines you have, or the food that's designed. Well, we know that what is what our chef with. You know, we know that our chef Nick and what he does with his team works well with the kind of wine that we like to drink. So we don't necessarily have to have meetings about like, is this going to go with the crudo? We don't do wine pairings or anything like that. And the staff, also you have that many wines, the staff is good enough to know how to put things out, right. how to drink, right. you know, what, how you can drink with it. I noticed, you know, I follow uh, a restaurant on social media, look at the website. From time to time, you have chefs come in. Yeah. And you sort of label them as the fifth horseman. Right. I think you just had somebody in from England. We just had Braun in from right. England. Right before that, we had Le Vervelet from Paris. Right. So how does that work? You you invite someone. Those are people that we love, you know, restaurants that we love that are they are very influential on what we do. Let them and take we, over the we kitchen? We let them come in the kitchen. Or when Vervelet came, we had five of their front of house guys, too. And we really try for the evening to give you the experience of their restaurant. And they trust our list enough to know that they're going to be able to represent their Is it a menu? Or no. They- no, it's it's we want it to be a la carte like their restaurants. So are. how do I find out about that? Go on the website. It's on Is our there website. A mailing list. Uh, yeah, we have a mailing list, and we'll send you info about it. Like, if you plan the next one, oh, we're still working on it okay. right now. So, but there'll be enough. There are no, there are no tickets bought yet. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that's so. Go the website is uh, fourhorsemanbk.com. dot com. All right, um, we do a thing every week called the wine list, and I think this plays into what we've been talking about. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. I didn't prompt you on this because okay. I want you to be spontaneous. It's pretty basic, so you don't have to get nervous. But I think this will be the wineless sort of natural version, okay? Because okay? that'll make sense. All right. So, what wine are you drinking now? What's recently? Somebody put something in front of you, or you're stuck on something. Right now, I've been drinking the uh, E-Roll, which is a, a declassified uh, Lirac wine from Eric Fifferling. Is E-Roll the type of wine? No, no, that's the name of the wine, but it's oh, a declassified E Y R O L L E, I think. And that's from the Loire Valley. No, it's from, it's from it's far far farther in the south. Okay, and uh, it's from the Southern Rhone, and I I really love it, and it's been kind of my go-to. Chill it down and just okay. kind of glug it. All right. E-roll. Mm-hmm. All right. I know you sort of alluded to this before that you don't do it, but yeah. do you have a favorite food and wine pairing? There's always the champagne and oyster thing. I mean, you know, they are muscadet and oysters or stuff like that. I really like sparkling wine and, like, fried food. So, like, something like a pet nat wine and, like, fried chicken to me is awesome. I really do like that a lot. Tell my listeners what pet nat wine is. It's just wine that's fermented, re-fermented naturally in the bottle. So you, and you're it's not out, a sparkling it, wine? It is sparkling. So so you leave okay. wine is with a little as, sugar in it and referments. Is it as bubbly as a sparkling wine or a little more toned down? Well, it's down? sparkling, but it can be a little more toned down. Yeah, it can be a little more prick, like a little more fizzy. And the bubbles tend to dissipate faster. Now, can pet nats be from anywhere? Or yeah, usually... it's just a process. It's right. petit natural. Okay. So. All right. Tell me your favorite wine restaurant or bar. 
So I'm going to ask you to answer it two ways, because I know you've been traveling to yeah. France a lot. So this puts you on the spot a little. And talk to me about New York outside of Four Horsemen. And to be you? honest, I have a three-year-old, and I don't go anywhere besides my own restaurant, because I can't. You so, told me that. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I just got back from Paris, and I really I still love Le Vervelet, and I love Le Chateaubriand. Those are my two. That's in my home France. base when I'm there in, in Paris. Paris. And that's, okay. They have the best list and the best value for food per, per bottle that okay. you can get. All right, favorite. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? Not anymore. Did you? Maybe I did. I mean, for me, it was like it was always the Beaujolais. Like I love Guy Breton. Morgan he makes a wine called Petit Max that I just love so so much. That really is a really important wine to me. Unfortunately, it's not distributed. They don't. Kermit Lynch doesn't bring that cuvee in. Right. I'm not sure why. Um, but I really like his wines a lot. I love the Burgundies from uh, Claire Nodin. Spell very it much for me. Uh, Claire, C L A R A N A U D I N. N A U D I N? Yeah, I really like her burgundy okay. an awful lot. And those what kind really of happy. pricing on that? Is it reasonable? They range, or? they range. Okay. But yeah, she does a really inexpensive aligote and then they go all the way up. Okay, good to know. All right, do you recall seeing a wine label that's memorable to you? Do you have a favorite wine label? I don't, but I mean, if you talk about natural wine, they're all ridiculous they're cartoons. All, they're so, in yeah, a different yeah. zone. Exactly. Most exactly. So I guess the yeah. answer is natural wine labels exactly. are cool. All right. Tell me, and you should be able to help me with this because you're in retail, mm-hmm. you're in the restaurant. Give me your best wines for 15 bucks or less. Recommend a white to me and recommend a red to me. For 15 or less? I would say. Lizzie is sitting I mean, here. You know, she's going to no. a party. No, I, she's I mean, got for 15 me, I, bucks. Can, can she wants do, to wow somebody. What's she bringing? First thing you do is you do Muscadet. Okay. You do Muscadet. You do like Marc Olivier or you do Joe Landron. I would maybe, I would, I'd go with Landron over that. One of his, like he makes a wine called um, Amphibolite that's perfect. Tastes like lemon juice and rocks. It's like 11 bucks. It's awesome. Great. And then uh, for the red, I would do. I would do like a, a Beaujolais Village wine, or I would do. Uh, I'm trying to think, see, things have gotten so much more expensive since I worked retail, right? Uh, but uh, I would do like, yeah, I just try to find a. Uh, I would talk to you know where I, somebody where they worked and try to find like the least interventionist Beaujolais Village that you can get. So there's Beaujolais Crew and Beaujolais Village. Village is just the, the basic is cheaper. yeah, bottom of the hill kind of stuff. Yeah, by the village. Got it. Yeah. Got it. All right, two good choices. Mm-hmm. All right, Justin, we do a weekly wine sip here. We taste the bottle of wine. Okay. I want you to stay here and taste with us, all okay. right? So we're going to pour it out. Our friend Lizzie is going to help us pour out four glasses of wine. Okay. okay. All right. And what we're drinking is, this is a 2014 Michel Gassier Costiaris de Nimes Nostre Pais. This is an organic wine. It's not a natural wine because I couldn't find a natural wine. Um, it's from, we go to the wrong store. I, well, I did. <laughs> it's from the southern region of the Rhone, the southernmost part of the Rhone region in France. It's a white blend of Grenache Blanc, Rousan, Viognier, Claret, and Bourbon those are all, you know, white blending wines. Mm-hmm. This wine retails for about 16 to 20 bucks, cool. and it's available at, you know, better mm-hmm. wine stores. Yeah. So let's give it a sniff, a sip. What are you getting on the nose? I taste like it's from somewhere very, it smells like it's from somewhere very warm. Okay. And it definitely smells like it's Roussan. Southern yeah. Rhone? Yeah, it smells like it's Roussan, Marsan kind of thing. Okay. I don't really pick up the Viognier in the nose. Viognier always kind of smells like, like, uh, like my grandma's perfume, like mm. kind of like too much perfume Florally. on the way to church. Yeah. All right, what about the mouthfeel? I feel a little acidity. Medium. 
Yeah, I feel a little acidity. Feels like maybe not not naturally occurring acidity. Okay. And uh, and um, but I don't know. I don't know the wine at all. I'm not sure. That's okay. just like judgmental stuff. It's but, but it's a... definitely brighter and fresher than I would expect from the way it smelled. Right. And um, if it was cold, it would be. Uh, if it was a little colder, maybe it'd be a little little easier. But tell me what you pick up on the palate. I don't know. To me, it tastes like it tastes like ripe yellow fruit. Reminds me of like when you're a kid, like juicy fruit gum. Like it tastes like like tropical, little tropical, little like mangoes, kind of cantaloupe, sort of that kind like of you thing. Said, the tropical, yeah, yeah. more exotic mm-hmm. fruits yeah. and all of that. All right. Would you pair this with anything? I mean, does it make sense? I mean, yeah. I see people eating something like this, like a pork chop, something like that. It could hold up to a pork yeah. chop. All right, so. You don't love this wine. It's not my thing. I don't think it's poorly made or anything like that. It's just not my thing. Okay. I, just, I like I like crackingly dry, like tear the enamel off your teeth white wines. It's a little yeah. sweet. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was the uh, Michel Gassier, the 2014 Coste Aries de Nîmes, No Straight Pass from the Southern Rome region of France. All right. Finally, uh, we spoke to Isabelle Legeron earlier. She is launching the Raw Wine Fair in Brooklyn. It's a two-day celebration of some of the best wine talent in the world and features over 100 growers. Raw Wine is one of the most exciting collections of fine, natural, and biodynamic wine artisans ever to come to Brooklyn. That's on November 6th and 7th. It's from 10A to 6P. It's at, a, uh, I guess, an exhibition space at 99 Scott Avenue in Brooklyn. You can go to rawwine.com for more info. There's going to be uh, wine people there pouring wine. There's going to be talks and seminars. Justin's actually going to be involved in one of them. With a bunch of really, I think a bunch of really outstanding local, um, not necessarily smallies, but people that have locally written like really solid natural wines. Right. And I'm talking about what it's like to serve these wines. So if you want to get up to speed on natural wines, the Royal Wine Fair, November 6th and 7th, is the place to be. If you have a wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at the Grape Nation. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. We'll also eventually post the wine list and the wine sip selections and all of that. I'll get to that at some point. And finally, thank you to our guest, Isabel Legeron from Raw Wine, and our in-studio guest, Justin Chernow from the Four Horsemen in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Thanks to our engineer, Pierre, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. Go to heritageradionetwork.org for more info. Theme music for this program is brought to you by the Grautet. That's G-R-A-U-T-E-T. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.